Thanks as always for tuning in. Hey, if you haven't already, now would be a great time to head over to iTunes and give this a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it. That would help. That would really help other folks like you and me find this podcast. So today on the show, I'm talking to Mark McDougall. To be honest, I don't know Mark so well, but he sent me a cold email outreach and it was one of the most unique ones that I've seen. And believe me, I receive hundreds of people pitching themselves to be guests on this show. But I actually, uh, but his got me to reply and ultimately got me to book him on this show. So we talked all about that, some behind the scenes of how he put that outreach campaign together and why it worked for me. Um, and then, of course, we talked about Mark's business, where he is uh, working as a consultant to help B2B SaaS software companies book more demos. And he has a very clear value proposition on that. We talked about his productizing paid discovery projects that then lead into longer consulting engagements. We talked about working with large enterprise clients. And also near the end of the call, uh, Mark helped me clarify a little bit uh, process kits positioning a little bit. And that's my B2B SaaS software company. So this was a really good uh, conversation. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Mark uh, has a lot of really insightful notes on, on doing consulting, especially productized consulting, really well. But first, here is the latest uh, YouTube video where I'm answering a listener's question. Enjoy. What motivates you to do the work that you do? I think we're going to go deep today. <laughs> Let's get to this question. Hi there, Brian Castle here answering another reader's question today. Uh, this is a good one. Ivan asked me, why do you do the work that you do? What motivates you? <laughs> I think he was asking me, and I'll give you my answer here in a minute. But um, first, I just want to give uh, kind of two tips related to this. The first tip is that it's a really great question to ask. I think everyone, if you're running your own business, if you're trying to do your own thing, you know, year to year, it's really important that you ask the question, what is motivating you and, and how do you stay motivated? I think it's really important to sort of like check in with yourself on that question at least once or twice a year. So maybe you can do that with other friends and advisors or a community that you're in. You could, you know, like a mastermind group. That's a really good way to, to sort of talk about that. One thing that I do is I, I keep a business journal. I usually type it in my iPhone. Every couple of months, I'm, I'm going to type in, I actually call it like a check-in post where I'm just checking in like what I'm happy about in my business, what, what's sort of challenging me, what, what is not motivating me, where, where do I want to go? You know, these are the questions that I'm constantly checking in on. And I think it's, it's helpful to, you know, to really just stay clear on that kind of stuff. Another really, really great way is to take a personal retreat, like go travel somewhere solo and give this a lot of thought. Of course, we can't do that right now in 2020 because of the pandemic, but um, you know, that's, that's another thing that I've done in the past. The second tip that's related to this question is I think your answer to what's motivating you, that is often a moving target. I don't think that it will stay the same throughout your entire career. It certainly has not for me. It usually changes in response to your most recent experience. So I'm usually thinking about where I just came from and, and trying to solve for improving my work so that I'm not doing the things that demotivated me in my previous experiences. So as you go on from, from job to freelancing to product business to product business to product business, every one of those things is going to have things that you really liked and things that you found frustrating or demotivating. And so as you move on to the next thing, at least in my experience, it's always been, how can I solve for the thing that was demotivating to make the next thing even more enjoyable? Of course, then you're going to uncover new things that <laughs> that become frustrating and, and, and you want to solve for those in the next thing. So that's why this is a moving target. So for me, you know, what, what's actually motivating me? I'm recording this, of course, uh, here in June of 2020. 
So we're right in the middle of this year, and, and this is my answer to that question today. And like I said, there, there's a good chance this could change a year from now or five years from now. I would expect that it would. But right now, I think it, it kind of boils down to a combination of, of three things that, that keep me motivated and, and keep me focused. One is that I, I'm really, really motivated by the idea of making sure that the work that I'm doing every day is the type of work that I truly enjoy, that I get excited about. And for me, that's, that's a lot of creative work and a lot of building work, I'm usually creating things to build things. So I'm, I'm creating websites, I'm creating software, I'm creating processes for my team, I'm creating videos, I'm creating content and podcasts. I just love the process of creating. And, and I know that I'm uh, focused on doing work that motivates me when I naturally want to work more hours. You know, sometimes it's not super healthy to work a ton of hours. But if I just want to, because I enjoy doing it, like I, in, in many ways, I consider my work, my hobbies, um, I have other hobbies too, but <laughs> you know, I, it's just work that I, that I really love and, and I want to keep, and I really value that, you know, over a lot of other things like monetary rewards and other things. Like if, if I'm not doing work that I truly enjoy, then I'm not going to enjoy doing this business. It, it's actually not worth it to me. And I mean, I'd be lying if the business side and, and the revenue and, and, and money and, and profit side don't matter to me as well. I mean, if I only cared about creating, I would probably be a painter or, or a musician. And I do music on the side as a, as a hobby, but that's not a business to me. I'm, I'm much more motivated about building valuable, sustainable asset as businesses that I own. That to me is exciting. And I love the idea of creating things that can turn into businesses that make money, that solve real problems for customers and make their lives better, and that build uh, really valuable situations for my team. So that's really motivating. The last thing for me is being able to live a flexible lifestyle. Now, actually, my family and I were, were kind of homebodies. Of course, here in 2020, everybody is, <laughs> is, is staying at home. But, you know, we really love our home here. I love my home office here. This is like one of my favorite places to, to be, to, to work. I, I, you know, when we moved into this house, this was uh, one of my key considerations was to have a, a nice, comfortable workspace. So I love working remotely and I would love to keep it that way for the foreseeable future. But we also really love to travel. Uh, not this year, but, you know, every other year we, we've made, we've had multiple uh, travel excursions and, and I love to be able to do that as well. So having the flexibility to work from anywhere, to work whenever and wherever, and to earn the, the level of income that enables that sort of lifestyle for me and my family, that, that's always really, really important. And at this age now, I do value my off work time. So family time, hours at night, weekends, doing things on the weekend and things like that and, and taking trips. So when I was younger, I probably worked a lot more hours than I do now. So these are the things that I try to optimize my, my work and the type of business choices that I do to optimize for those things that motivate me. So it's a really good question. You should be asking yourself that question uh, every couple of weeks, months, quarters, whatever it is. And yeah, just keep at it. You're going you're gonna to continue to optimize for that question. Got another question for me? Let me know. Hit me up in the comments. You can reply to any of my emails or hit me up on Twitter and I will answer them here on YouTube. Thanks for watching. See ya. As always, you can head over to my YouTube channel to see those Q&As on video and subscribe there to get all sorts of other stuff uh, over on my YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning into that. And now here is my conversation with Mark McDougall. Enjoy. Okay, Mark McDougall, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. 
Yeah, great. Well, uh, you know, we were just talking off air a little bit, and I think we want to cover, uh, you know, well, as always, we'll, we'll try to cover a lot of ground here. But I think you're going to be an interesting guest because the <laughs> way that you actually got booked on this show was, was pretty interesting. I'm just going to be transparent with the audience, uh, maybe at my own peril after, after this. But I'll say that you are one of the few people, like, you know, as I, I run an, actually two podcasts, and I get cold emails sent to my inbox every single week, a few every week for years now, people trying to pitch themselves on becoming guests on one of my podcasts. And my default is to just ignore them. Like most cold emails that I get, which any businesses, I mean, we're, we're getting too many of them these days, but yours stuck out. And I thought I would just describe what I received from you and how it ended up getting me to reply and then book you on this show. Yeah. So you received it. Actually, let me... Okay, here it is. I actually have it right in front of me. So the subject line says, hey, Brian, I made you a video. Oh, and full disclosure, like you and I, like we don't even really know each other. Like I've never, no. we've never met. No. So, uh, so subject line is, hey, Brian, I made you a video. Like, okay, I'm going to open that, that email. <laughs> and then I've got a link to a Loom video. And if you're familiar with Loom, it's like a really easy, quick tool for, for creating, you know, quick videos to share with people. I, I love it. I use it all the time too. But the nice thing about a Loom video is that you can drop it into an email and it show it, I guess it automatically generates a big thumbnail for the video that you're about to press play on. And in your thumbnail for that video, you, I think you were holding up like a card that said like, Hey, Brian. <laughs> oh man, that little card, it works wonders. Yeah. Right. So, so clearly it's like, it, this isn't a canned video that you're sending to, you know, hundreds of people. This is just like. Clearly, you're making unique ones of these for every podcast. And then I clicked play and it was like a minute long message. And you were like, it was very personalized about like, hey, productized podcast. Or, I mean, you, you said like, hey, Brian, but you were talking about the productized podcast and some interesting ideas and why you might be a good fit and, and uh, seemed very down to earth. So, I mean, just really well done overall on this whole outreach. And I'm just curious to hear behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what goes into that? Yeah, yeah. We'll dig right into the sausages. I promise right after this, we'll get into like actually who you are and what you do and, and all that. And, I, and I'll have the intro for the app for the episode as well. So. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, I, I mean, I love doing this kind of outreach mostly because I mean, I receive a lot of outreach myself. You know, I've been doing consulting now for about eight years and I'll, I'll get the traditional cold email, which is like business name X, my business name connect or something that's just completely it's completely unpersonalized. It's obvious they've just sent it to like 2,000 people. Yeah. Or like the, hey, sir or madam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's the worst, man. Hello, sir. <laughs> Good, sir. How are you today? It would be an honor to connect with you. Like, wow, man, I'm, I'm not a god. I'm just a, I'm another human. Like, <laughs> let's, let's, chat, let's call each other by our first names. So I get a lot of that stuff. And, I'm, and I, I like, I feel the pain. You know, I feel what it's like to receive a really bad cold email. And sure, it's not it's not a big deal. Like I just archive it, but I, I feel like the person sending it probably wants something else out of it. So I kind of got in the head of the recipient of, of an email, and then I just said, "All right, how can I send an email that I would absolutely open and I would absolutely read and potentially reply to?" And that's kind of what sparked the whole idea of uh, creating the video. Because I mean, in the subject line too, right? It's it's a personalized. Subject line, yeah. clearly, I've committed, I've poured a little bit of my soul into the email in the form of the video. So like, why wouldn't you open it, right? Another human's clearly trying to reach out to me and they've put the time in to like build something personal. And 
relevant to my audience. You know, they're talking all about me, me, me. Why wouldn't I reply to this? You know, and that, that's kind of the the premise that that I've got. And I get lots of positive feedback uh, like this um, for people that are just kind of breathing a sigh of relief because they're, they're they're so used to getting hundreds of these horrible cold emails every day, and then it's nice to have one that's like a little different, puts a smile. Yeah, on totally. Face. Yeah, I mean, I really, I'm I'm like kind of fascinated about the whole about this cold email approach when you do it in a, in a unique way, because I do feel like cold email outreach, like, like I said, everyone is receiving these. We, we've been receiving them for years, and I think it has clearly lost its effectiveness. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've, t- I've like tried the automated email stuff a little bit here, like dabbled in it over the years, and it sort of worked maybe back in 2015, 2016. Then I tried it in 2017, and it really stopped working. And then, and frankly, I just, don't like receiving a lot of cold email, so I don't like sending it either. But you know, again, like receiving yours, it was it was kind of like a, a breath of fresh air. And also, if folks go back and listen to a recent episode that I did with my friend uh, Rich Stats, you know, we we also focused on his outreach program where he's actually mailing a, a physical, interesting gift to his target prospects and uses that as like a jumping off point. And so, I think these like creative ideas are really interesting. Yeah, and- I'm curious, like like how many different like how many different podcasts have you reached out to this way? Uh, right now, it's been about 50 over the course of five or six months. I mean, and that's the thing about it, right? It's by its very nature, it isn't scalable. Uh, you, you can't do personalized emails that get opened at scale. It just doesn't work. So I really had to think about what I was doing when I'm sending out these emails, right? If I was asking you for something else, like a consulting engagement or a strategic project, I wouldn't be able to, to record a video because strategic projects are funded strategically throughout the year, right? I can't just reach out to you and say, hey, do you want to do this? And you'll think, oh yeah, totally, let's do it. But you could have me on as a podcast guest next week. So it's something you can actually take action on. And I know who you are. You've, you've kind of showcased your personality on the internet. So it's easy for me to tailor a highly personalized video for you that I can just send and uh, hopefully get some open rates on. Yeah. And so like, have you, so, so like the 50 podcasts, like, did you just sort of like go through the iTunes directory and just like pick out the business podcast that seemed to make sense? Like, how did you go about like even just making that initial outreach list? The initial list came from, well, I mean, I'm a, I guess I'm a podcast head myself. I'm always listening to podcasts. So I had a couple in mind already. And then from there, I just kind of went on to Pocket Casts and found similar podcasts and did a little research to see if they had guests on and learn a little more about the host, see if there's someone that I'd jive with personality-wise. And then I just add them to an Excel sheet and then gruelingly make personalized videos for each one of them over the course of six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, like clearly you did do the research, right? I mean, you you talked about what this show is about. I mean, I, I don't assume that that you've, you know, really spent a lot of time listening to the show. Naturally, like not, not many people have, but like clearly it, it was what you were you know, saying in the video was like relevant for this audience and things like that. So you did a little bit of research. I mean, I get a ton of pitches, even more pitches for my other podcast, which I do with a co-host, and we almost never have guests on that show. Mm. Like it's like guests are just not a thing that we do over there. And we're constantly getting pitched by people thinking that they'll be booked as guests when right. clearly they're not, they're not doing the research, you know. So once you have that list of uh, of 50 or so podcasts, like how much time goes into the research? What goes into it? How do you how do you figure out whether it's worth actually making a video for them? Yeah, it takes about 
30 minutes to an hour, depending on how hard it is to find the person behind the podcast's contact details. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the same principles that I apply for conversion optimization when I'm talking uh, to clients on a consulting basis. It's very customer-centric, the customer being the listener of the podcast. And if I can't, I'll usually listen to the most recent podcast they had with a guest on, and I'll kind of get a feel for what they talk about and how they converse. And if I don't feel like I can come up with a topic that's relevant for their audience, that's going to be actually interesting and, and nice to listen to, then I won't, I won't reach out to them. I'm a podcast listener myself, and it's kind of annoying when there's guests on shows that are clearly not, they're not relevant for the audience, and I just have to skip over them, right? So it's not useful for the, for the customer, and it's not useful for the podcast host either. So I'll usually listen to the most recent one, or I'll skim through it if it's like two hours long, and I get a feel for what the kind of conversational style is like. I'll try and see if I can learn more about what their audience seems to want to hear about based on looking at all the topics in their in their backlog of podcasts. And then I'll just kind of spend some time thinking about some ideas that might be relevant for that audience and then package it up in a, a nice little video and send it over. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, these are the kind of tactics and actual work of, of like executing this. And like you said, you've been doing it over a course of five months. So it sounds like you must have like built it into your, you know, weekly or, or monthly routine. You know, these are the kinds of things that that over time they can really start to pay off because I'm sure just being on a few podcasts can can really move the needle for for your business. I guess like last question on on this, like how have conversion rates been on the on like getting yourself booked on podcasts? Oh yeah, uh, they've actually been quite decent. So I've had about a sixty percent reply rate, which if anyone that's done cold email knows that that's an absurd <laughs> reply rate. Most cold email campaigns, even the ones I do that aren't video based, get maybe a 10% reply rate if I'm lucky. So I'm getting a serious amount of replies and I've got about 15 podcasts scheduled for the next couple months, podcast interviews. So that's, I'd say about a 25% overall conversion rate, which isn't really that bad considering that, I mean, these people I'm emailing are super busy. Half of them probably don't even care about me, right? They're just, who's this annoying guy sending me an email? So for people to reach out to me and not only say thank you so much for sending such a personalized email, which lights up my soul, <laughs> but they are actually interested in having me on to talk about topical things with their audience, it, it really makes me happy. So it's been working well for me, yeah. That's great, man. Well, you know, it wasn't just your cold outreach that that actually got me to to say yes to booking you. I mean, it, it's actually the work that you do. I, I clicked through your website. I mean... You know, the way that you position yourself and your services, your, your consulting is really well done, right? I mean, right in your email signature, it says, Mark McDougal, I help B2B SaaS companies book more demos. So, so there's like value belt, built into that elevator pitch. And I'm running a B2B SaaS with, with Process Kit, and I am trying to book more demos. So right away, that caught my attention as well. I clicked through to your website, clarityfirst.co which is, you know, also really well done, nice and clean, a lot of really good information there. But yeah, like, like, so from here, like, why don't you tell, tell us a little bit more about Clarity First Consulting and, and how do you explain, you know, what you do? Yeah, well, I mean, the email signature usually does the bulk of the heavy lifting for me. And that's how I generally advise people to do outreach. Just make sure your email signature clearly defines the problem you solve, your value proposition, and then don't mention the sale in the email at all. Just send them something that's pure value. People aren't stupid, you know. They're, if they if they have the problem you solve, they'll probably click the click the links in your email. Uh, so the positioning is very focused. BB SaaS companies more demos. 
And uh, I, I, I get most of my clients through email outreach and just moving them through the pipeline, just doing discovery. We can talk about the audits in a little bit. And the, the audits, which are the productized services, are what build momentum towards those larger, uh, high-value consulting projects that's the bread and butter of my, my service. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that model work really well quite a bit, whether they're you know consultants or even agencies doing this, uh, like a paid discovery project. Usually that's some form of, of an audit. So that in itself is a little bit more fixed priced and, and predictable. And then that could lead to maybe a more custom engagement after that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like, can you, can you explain that a little bit more? Like, what is that like always your first go-to offer is like a, a paid audit or paid discovery? And then what, what's involved in that? If they're going to work with me, it is, yeah. But I start all my engagements with uh, what I call a clarity call, just kind of really banging on that branding. <laughs> and it's just like half an hour to an hour of me talking with someone to just learn what they actually want to achieve on a business level. Um, I'll have people come to me that they're a startup. They just started a couple months ago and they want to put a site together. They've been doing things ad hoc for a while. And I'm like, why don't you just use Squarespace? Like, let's just, let's just do it on Squarespace, man. It'll take you a couple weeks to set this up max and cost you what, $30. So they don't always end up doing anything with me. Sometimes I'll even refer them to people I know that specialize in solving other problems that are more relevant for them. So uh, especially large corporations, they'll come to me and say, hey, we're not seeing any conversions. And well, their site loads in like 12 seconds. So you, you don't really need a conversion audit yet. Why don't you talk to this performance specialist first and then come back in six months once things have been sped up a little bit. But they usually come, they come into the clarity call and then we'll just do a brief assessment, high level, like what are you actually trying to accomplish here? How can we move the needle? And then if it makes sense to do something else, I'll suggest one of the five different audits I have on my site and then we'll, we'll start with those. And uh, if, if they enjoy the value they get from that, we'll usually go through with an implementation project as well. Got it. You know, the other thing that, that occurs to me as, as I've been clicking through your site here is that honestly, I'm like, I'm really clear on, the, on who your ideal customers are and the problem that you solve. Like you're working with SaaS companies, you're helping them get more demos and market their, their product. I'm still unclear about what you do. <laughs> yeah. Are you a copywriter or are you a designer? Do you build websites? Do you just consult? Are you more of an engineer? Like I'm, maybe you're, you know, uh, a, a unicorn who does a mix of all those things. I am curious about that. Like, do you like what? What would you say is is your like main skill by trade here? Yeah, that's a really good question, and perhaps a little bit of customer feedback for me. When I first started doing independent work, I was freelancing, and I just was a generalized web developer. That was what I did. I was a WordPress developer. And I learned very quickly that I was basically just another pair of hands. As I'm sure many of your guests realized over time, this is the, the story arc for them. And I, I just couldn't really command the kind of fees I needed to live a comfortable life and deliver quality results to people. Uh, so I just made it a little more focused on the problem. And that's how I'm now sort of positioned as like the problem solver. If you have a problem with converting demos, talk to me and we'll see where to go from there. Uh, so I, I love to do design. That's, that's my bread and butter. If you are in need of a new website design that converts, that's the kind of clients I love working with. But sometimes it's a copy thing and sometimes it's a performance thing. And if that's the case, I'll just refer them to someone I know that's really, really good at that. Okay. Huh. Yeah. I, I mean, because I, I really do uh, like the way that you focus on the problem first. I, I think there are way too many 
especially web designers specifically, like web designers or web design agencies who their main headline on their homepage is like, we design pretty websites. Mm -hmm. Okay. We help you align with large strategic goals. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, you you mentioned that like after the, the clarity call, you have a number of different audits. Can you unpack that a little bit? So it's like, depending on what kind of problem they have, you have a a few different tools in your toolbox to go to? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple things that, there's a couple reasons why people generally don't convert. I mean, it would take me probably three hours to go through all of them, but they generally fall into one of these five buckets. And it's messaging where there's just some kind of friction. People don't understand the solution you're providing, or maybe they do understand it, but they have another related question that's unanswered. Like, how do you do that? It might be the customer journey where there's just a really confusing information architecture. The navigation's all messed up. It's not clear how I move through the sales funnel. It could be a sales funnel issue, right? It might be before they actually hit the site, your marketing is selling something completely different. And then they get on the SaaS site and they're like, wait, you're an email marketing company? What, what the heck is this? You know? right. It could be onboarding where after you've got that demo, they don't actually convert. Perhaps there's something about your product where there's a disconnect, or maybe it's very hard to learn how to use the SaaS. There's a lot of SaaS companies that have that enormous barrier to entry, huge uh, knowledge gaps that are a big problem. And it could, of course, be page speed, which is just the lowest common denominator. That's something that I just generally tell people, hey, look, if it is page speed, go to this guy, handle this first, and then we'll talk again. Uh, So those are the five domains where there's usually enormous opportunities to improve conversions. But the one I, I love to focus on is the messaging slash design side of things. Got it. Got it. And can you tell me more about how the paid audit actually works? Like, how is that structured? Um, if you're willing to share like pricing options for that, you know, I always give the audience the caveat here that we're we're talking here in the middle of 2020. People change their prices all the time, so you know, obviously nothing is set, set in stone here. But yeah, yeah. Just can you tell me a, lo- a little bit more about like what's involved there? Absolutely. And on the pricing front, I really need to get my prices on these audits because they are fixed. They, these are the productized consulting parts of my business. Um, they, they range from $500 to $1,500, depending on the level of effort and, of course, the scope of the deliverables. But they'll, they'll basically start with a clarity call and I'll take a look at their site. I'll talk to them and I'll say, okay, it seems like there's there's some kind of onboarding issue here. Usually there's an onboarding issue if like, there's a lot of demo signups, a lot of trial signups, but very few activations. We'll talk this all through. Then we'll start with one. Um, I do all my payments upfront for the services. And then once it's funded, I'll go ahead and do a kickoff interview with them and then almost immediately start interviewing their customers and getting an insight into what they find valuable about the product, why they signed up, what competitors they looked at, their pain points, their pleasure points. I'm also going through the SaaS app, I'm signing up for it. I'm seeing what the onboarding looks like. I'm playing around with it. I'm digging through Hotjar. Just an an enormous level of effort to figure out what's going on that's causing that conversion issue. And then I just bundle it all up in a nice PDF that's all automated and uh, send it over to them. And then we talk next steps from there. Sometimes it's implementation, but a lot of times it's just overseeing the project, which I honestly prefer sometimes. Got it. Got it. So just for for those... uh listening who may not be up on, on all these different tools when it comes to SaaS, like you mentioned Hotjar, that's sort of a tool that, that lets you actually see real users' mouse clicks throughout the app to see where they're using it, where they're not using it, things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Hotjar, Full Story is my favorite though, because it actually records their screen, which is a little creepy, but it's, it's the closest you can get to standing behind someone when they're using your site, which is the ultimate customer discovery tool. 
albeit illegal. <laughs> right. So you mentioned that you do customer interviews, and this is this is part of that like initial audit project. Yeah, depending on the one we're doing. Sometimes if we're if we're just talking about page speed or something or, or messaging, I'll usually just omit that. But if it's one of the more involved audits, I'm I'm always talking to customers. So so you'll ask your client to kind of like make an introduction to a couple of their customers for you to interview. Yep, I've got a little Calendly link. I'll send them for. 15 minutes. If, if it's a B2E or excuse me, business to enterprise SaaS company, I'll usually request that the business owner tries to compensate them somehow or, or has some kind of incentive to get them on the phone because the people that are, we're generally talking to are really, they're really busy people. So perhaps a month free of the service or two months just to talk with me for 15 minutes. I mean, it's, that's a no brainer. That's like, of course I'm going to get on the phone, but I'll just send them over a calendar link and they forward it that way. Sure. Got it. So you're doing these interviews, you're auditing the, the product, audit, auditing the website, and then you kind of pull together your, your best recommendations into, into a report. And that's essentially the, the deliverable on that? Yeah. Well, the deliverable is ideally the outcome that they're receiving from it, where they're probably going to be seeing a lift in their conversion rate. But the physical deliverable is a report that has all the insights in it. Like, hey, you should probably change this, tweak this, remove this, and you'll see a lift. Got it. Got it. Just a minute to tell you about Process Kit. If your operation needs to become more efficient and more predictable so that your team never lets anything fall through the cracks, then it's time to implement Process Kit. Process Kit is process driven project management software made for powering client services businesses. It's especially designed with productized services in mind. Create powerful SOPs with built in if this then that automations and then use those processes to power all of your repeatable projects. Whether you're managing a pipeline of new clients onboarding to your service, or tracking weekly deliverables, sales proposals, marketing assets, or admin work, Process Kit is your team's place for getting it all done, but more importantly, done right. Use our powerful Zapier integration to hook Process Kit into all of your other systems. And if you'd like expert help with improving your processes and automations, ask about our Process Kit implementer service. Request your free demo and trial at processkit.com. And then like, what do your services after that look like? I mean, so, so you've delivered the report, made these recommendations. There are some opportunities for them to improve their website or improve their onboarding or messaging. At that point, do you move into like a like a proposal for for a longer engagement yeah that's a good question i completely omitted that from the initial description but the the report i send them generally will have pricing for implementation at the very end it'll say i i can help you manage this if, you, if you'd like or i can do it for you and here's the two prices and then if they want to go forward with it they can uh, so i don't generally send them over a separate proposal unless it's like a very involved design project in which case we'll probably have another meeting after that and then i'll tighten everything up with some legalese and send it over okay i see you mentioned that you offer two prices is that pretty common to kind of have like a like a like a large and a small option or something like that um i usually actually have three prices but lately i've just been sending over two which is probably a mistake <laughs> but i'll generally have the done for you done with my oversight or then just me helping them on a consulting basis for the lowest option just like a retainer fee or something got it and what do, I mean, I know that those engagements tend to be a little bit more varied and, and customized, right? But like, what, what's a, what does a typical one look like? Like, how long are you working with a single client and what's usually involved? 
Yeah, it usually depends. Well, of course it depends, but it's it's usually on the order and the magnitude of months rather. And uh, depending on what I'm actually doing, uh, the more involved ones, we're talking a year, a year and a couple months, but it's generally a, a handful of months at the absolute minimum. Yeah. So when a SaaS company is hiring you for a year or more, how do they best use because you're not like an employee of them. You're, you're an outside consultant, but you're working with them for a long period of time. So yeah, is it sort of like just an ongoing, just these like ongoing touch points of, of advice and direction and strategy that they're, that they're consulting with you like on a monthly basis? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is, but the overwhelming majority of the time, there's one big project that's happening first. Usually it's a, a, an enormous redesign of their, of their landing page or their, excuse me, their marketing site. And that usually takes about six to seven months to do it right, um, get the copy all dialed in, make sure everything's optimized properly. And then we do a couple months of A-B testing and quality assurance. And then I say it lasts about a year because there's always little hidden gremlins and there's always things that pop up and I just come back and fix them for free. Yeah. It's always sort of amazing to me to, to think about these timelines. And I, I mean, I totally get it. I Back in the day, I, I worked at a web agency working for big national brands and things. So I, I know how long these websites take. But when I just think about it now, like my like my website and my landing pages, I'll I'll write the copy and get it launched like in under 30 days, you know. But I'm obviously when you're working with these larger organizations, things just tend to move slower. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah. I mean that's that's usually the case. I, I always tell people when we when we're having those first initial chats like if you just want to give me the reins on this, I can bang it out in 15 days, but I know I'm going to have to get approval from everyone, so it'll p- probably take about a year. <laughs> right. That's usually just how it works, you know? It's the dynamics of dealing with like board of directors, multiple manager layers. It's kind of a pain, but ultimately it's there to help hedge the risk. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you deal with all that? I mean, obviously you're, you're an outside consultant, you're an expert, you're, you're a creative person. Does it get pretty frustrating to, to deal with I guess the pace of things, but then do you find that most of your clients like fully embrace and end up using the things that you do or does it get like watered down in their committees and things like that? Yeah, that's probably the, the most difficult part of of what I do. And I'm sure you've you've had conversations with other people that are in the consulting space as well. It's it's a nightmare when you're working with larger companies and you're trying to deliver results and you're held accountable for results, but you also have to run your suggestions by like a group of people. So the way I've solved this, and it's it's probably the most useful thing I've ever done in my consulting space, is adopting a radically different approach to starting the projects and getting people to commit to like doing things my way as high as possible in the in the leadership chain as I can, so that these issues kind of evaporate. So if I'm working with the CEO directly or the the VP or whichever president's kind of responsible for marketing, a lot of that friction kind of just goes away, and they say, "Hey, look." Mark knows what he's doing. We're just going to go with what Mark says. And I just make the suggestions. And it's not like I'm just building in a vacuum, though. I'm talking to people. It's just those people aren't, aren't guys sitting in offices micromanaging little details about the design. Those people are the, are the customers that are actually using the product. And I'm, I'm building something that's really, really radically customer-focused. So I, I found that if I can get upper-level management emotionally invested in the outcome early, way early before they've given me any money, is the projects actually kind of solve themselves, right? It's a totally different dynamic as opposed to going in as an outside consultant who's jamming their ideas down everyone's throat. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
I, and you, you know, you mentioned accountability. I'm also curious about, do most companies see hiring you as like a marketing play? Or I guess, like you said, like most of the time they're going through a redesign project or some sort of revamp of their onboarding or messaging. So I, like, are, are you involved in, in the tracking and reporting of, of the results after they've implemented your, the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have to. The, the, the fees I charge for these projects, it would be fiscally irresponsible of me to not come back and say, hey, here's, here's what the results actually were from the project. Like, we've actually seen a lift in 1%, 2% conversion rate. So you're, you're, and that affects the bottom line in this way and that way. Um, if I couldn't do that, it would be very hard for me to initially come in and, and get that level of respect from upper management to host a successful project. Got it. Yeah. And I saw that you developed uh, some, some pretty interesting case studies on your site as well. Oh, yeah. Which is really well done. Yeah, thank you. I love those things. Yeah, very cool. Let's see. So I guess kind of getting back to your whole sales and marketing approach, I mean, obviously, you did the outreach to, to get booked on some podcasts. You, you mentioned that you're doing other sorts of outreach for like, you know, just growing your client base. Can you talk a little bit more about the kinds of things that you do to market your services as, as a consultant? Absolutely. Uh, I'm so glad you asked me this because I, I do some ridiculous stuff <laughs> when it comes to marketing. I mean, I've been doing cold email for five years. I'm that guy. I used to be that guy that you hated, you know, sends like really, really terrible emails that are all about me. And I've learned what works and what doesn't work. And now I found the most effective way to email people is to not try and ask them for anything. You know, it's kind of strange because the common advice you get when you ask people for email marketing advice is make the ask simple and make the email short and, uh, you know, make it easy to read and have a subject line that makes an impact. And there's a lot of truth in a lot of that. But I've found that when you're sending emails to people, I mean, humans are very capable of reading longer emails if it's worth it. So what I do now is I actually send people pictures of squirrels via, via email. I'll just send them like, a stupid subject line along the lines of, uh, hey, Charles, I'm quarantined with a squirrel. And it's, first of all, when you receive an email like that, your intrigue circuits go haywire. You're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? So they're going to click it. They're going to open it. And then in the body, I'm just telling them the story about how I'm trapped in my apartment with a squirrel in my attic. And it's got a picture of me like chasing the squirrel around attached to the email. And people get a little confused because <laughs> when I tell them this, because they're like, well, you're not asking them for a meeting or anything. And I say, well, no, it's, it's in my email signatures. Like if you want to book more demos, schedule a clarity call. Just there you go. And uh, it's quite it's received quite well because, I mean, the people I'm emailing, they're busy people. They're getting hundreds, sometimes thousands of cold emails a day. So if I can be that one person that puts a smile on their face and, and makes them laugh, they'll probably be more likely or they'll be more receptive rather to a conversation with me down the line. They'll think this guy actually gets it. He's going to treat me like a human. He seems kind of cheesy and self-deprecating. So I'll, I'll give him a shot. It's not going to be a hard pitch. And uh, the responses I get from these kind of emails are overwhelmingly positive. I will say I get a lot of people that say the email is great, but don't actually do business with me. But that's okay. That's just a different kind of customer feedback. Yeah. But that's that's the start of the funnel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. But you're, I mean, are you literally... Just the the body of the email is just like a picture of a of you chasing a squirrel around your apartment and and like a, a is it like a short story about that and then that's it like are you asking them to reply or are you, are you, like anything it's a, it's a series of emails so I do use a little bit of automation because as I said earlier 
the kind of projects I get hired for are strategic projects. So if you're not targeting a, a large enough audience, your chances of emailing someone when they're thinking about doing a strategic project is extremely low. So I have to use automation to target a large audience. So the first email is just me finding the squirrel. The next email is me setting up a trap with almonds. <laughs> and the third email is me actually going up into my attic and looking all sweaty and gross, trying to hunt him down. And then eventually I catch the squirrel and it's a picture of me like being satisfied. So it's, it's just like a, it's a story oh, like, that's told. Oh, like over a number of emails, they're going through the... Yeah. So over the next six weeks, they learn about me and this stupid squirrel. I'm just like this idiot that's emailing them. And... <laughs> about this damn squirrel and they're and eventually they break and they're like i'm sick of this freaking squirrel like all right what do you want like l- let's just chat like whatever man it's, this is funny let's give it a shot and it works you know that's so funny and then i i guess again like are you like how much how are you preparing that list and how much research goes into each and indiv- i mean obviously this was a, this is a more this is a higher volume play i would assume you're, you're using some automation but yeah how do you sort of like put the nuts and bolts of that together yeah, so it's unfortunately not as personalized as the emails I reach out, or excuse me, the emails I use to reach out to people that can take action today. So it's a, it's a strategic project, so it's not as personalized as I'd like it to be. It's just an interesting story that I send to them over a period of weeks, usually around eight weeks to eventually get them to reply. But after I, I've, I make the list through LinkedIn Sales Navigator. I'm in there every day and I find 50 new companies that seem like they could use my work. And I'll find two people from the from the company that seem like they would have the decision maker power to make some change. I'll add them to my CRM and then I'll do a little bit of research about each of them, leave them a quick note. Uh, nothing, nothing that takes longer than like 30 seconds though, just something from their LinkedIn bio. Got it. And then they go into the CRM and then every week I will pull 50 people from the CRM and start sending them emails. And if they're receptive, if they open all of them by I think week five, then I make them a personalized video, which is a huge pain because <laughs> I'm making like 30 videos a week now, but it's just me singing them a song to try and convince them to, I know it's ridiculous, but it's me singing them a song about their business. It's not a personalized song per company. It's one song with their business swapped in. And I'm just trying to, the whole premise of the email is like, my squirrel didn't work, so let me seduce you with my serenade. And that oh, one yeah. that one gets a huge reply rate, as you'd expect. But I only do that for people that seem interested, people that have opened at least five or six of the emails, because otherwise it would be completely unscalable and I'd burn myself into the ground. Got it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. It's quite good, man. <laughs> and so this is just like something that's like in your routine. Like, you're, you're, are you doing this like every day or like a, a day a week or, or what? I, I normally will do it on Mondays and Fridays because those are kind of my low volume days. But since the coronavirus stuff happened, I just I'm just doing this every day now. A lot of my clients dropped off, as you'd expect, because they're not really interested in doing large strategic projects right now. They're more interested in saving their client their customers from churning. Uh, so I'm doing just prospecting out of the wazoo right now. And every day I'm in LinkedIn, I'm sharing stuff, I'm posting videos, prospecting. And then every week I have another batch of 50 people that are getting some highly personalized emails that go out and I'm recording songs for people. It's it's kind of fun. Yeah, it, it really helps to pass the time. Yeah, actually, that's, that's interesting. You, you mentioned that about the, the changing times right now with COVID. In the previous episode with Marcin Chorowski, you know, who offers a SEO service, 
it was interesting how he adjusted the positioning of his site just a few weeks ago to shift away from, hey, we'll help you get more traffic and get more sales and customers to something. I forgot exactly what it was, but it was like secure your your position or secure your your customer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's like right now it's more about you know secure like security and and like maintaining your your position and things like that and keeping your current customers happy. It's interesting how you know adjusting with with these times right now. That's smart, and that's what I'm, I tell people all the time. Like, if you're starting a new service now, or if you are considering repositioning, you want to target fear circuits as opposed to pleasure circuits. People aren't looking for more. They're not interested in, in, in you know, a 10x return on revenue right now. They just want to do safe things to keep their customers. So that, that's really smart. Uh, the only reason I don't do that is because I don't feel comfortable enough in my ability to help them out with that problem. So I wouldn't be able to command the same level of fee. I wouldn't be able to talk as confidently as I normally do. So I just keep it as is and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Maybe I'll desperately switch my positioning in three weeks. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. So you and I were talking a, a bit before the show, you know, off air, um, and you started to ask me a few questions about Process Kit, which is the the SaaS, the B two B SaaS that I'm working on that I would like to get some more demos on. <laughs> so I, I thought we can kind of pick up that conversation, and you know, why not do it on air? So uh, like, I'm, I am curious to kind of pick your brain a little bit about any thoughts or tips on conversion rate optimization for for my site or for anyone else's site as well, but. I mean, can we turn it over to you to ask away? Yeah, absolutely, man. And I've got uh, I've got a couple resources on my site for anyone that's uh, you know doing their own hustle and building their own productized services with landing pages. I've got a whole bunch of checklists and stuff you can download, and of course, it does sign you up to my juicy newsletter. But <laughs> if anyone wants to just do an exercise on their own, there's a very structured set of documents, and I'll I'll send this over if you want to put it in the show notes. Yeah, great. I want to, I was just curious to see how you're doing marketing for Process K. I've got a couple little B2B SaaS companies that I'm considering launching in the next couple months. And what always stops me is I don't know how to do marketing at scale that isn't for consulting. So I was I was hoping to pick your brain and see how that's uh how you've been doing it and how it's been going for you. Interesting. I mean, um well, right now we're recording this uh here in, in June 2020 and I would say Process Kit is, st- I still consider it very early stage, very, very new. And by new, I mean, we've actually been adding customers for exactly a year now. And that's st- for a SaaS, I think, especially a, a self-funded bootstrapped SaaS company, that's still very early on. You know, started adding customers last year, and now I'm slowly growing the customer base this year. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually only now that I'm starting to really make the turn into what I think of as like, real marketing. I haven't even really begun that, honestly. Up until now, it's all been, it started with my, I don't know, I have an audience, but it's not huge. But I do have an audience of people in client services, a lot of people who are interested in productized services. I've been uh, slowly growing that concept and, and audience base for several years now. So the initial beta users and the and the initial customers came from that and then off of that there there've been some referrals and and now a little bit of like organic search traffic is starting to trickle in it was featured on product hunt a few months ago and nice you know things like that are, are and and I'm also very public like working in public and I've been doing that for most of the past year where every new feature that that I'm in the process of building and designing and and shipping you know I'm tweeting about it I'm I'm posting videos about how it was done I'm I'm sending newsletters about it. So that helps 
you know, give it some exposure. But, you know, it's still not, like I said, I haven't done any, what I think of as like real marketing yet. So I haven't done any sort of advertising. I've done a little bit of content and actually in the next week or so, I'll be launching a fairly big like video course on Process Kit on like how to, it's called Process Automation for Service Companies. So it's like some education slash showing you how to use Process Kit. So some content plays like that, but it's nothing that's very repeatable or scalable or nothing that's like a flywheel yet. Right. Right. I mean, I like that. I like having the organic discovery, the customer discovery. It seems like Process Kit must have evolved from you experiencing problems, doing productized consulting on your own and seeing those similar problems in other people that were productizing their services. So it's it just kind of makes sense. Like, I'd imagine you get to eat your own dog food in a way where you're just using the you're using process kit for your own services and you know it just kind of naturally evolves for sure i mean i've uh, for the past almost six years now I've been running my, my other company called audience ops that's a productized blog content as a service and and we work with a lot of SaaS companies as well there and and it's um you know team of twenty five people working remotely we've had very very meticulous uh, meticulously built processes and systems for that team to run, but it's been difficult when all the processes are stored in like Google Docs, and we're trying to keep track of all the articles and things in Trello, and things are very disjointed, and and you know different uh, situations for different clients, things fall through the cracks, and I wanted a way for processes. You know, the the problem that I see, the problem that I'm trying to solve. And I'm, I'm still actually struggling with how to communicate this in a very simple way. Mm. And that is most project management tools do a poor job of being process driven. You know, you can like in, in say like an Asana you, or, or a Trello, like you could create a card or create a project, create some to do's, some, some checklists, but you're doing all that custom. And maybe you can like duplicate a card or duplicate a project, template project or whatever, but it's, it's not truly process driven. You know, and then you've got other tools that are like process tools, or you can document your processes in Google Docs, but then those are over there in your docs, and they're not really where your team is actually doing the work. And so I wanted to kind of bring those two things together so that your processes actually drive your projects for your team. When you're in client services and you have a lot of repeatable types of projects, your team should be following a pretty standard process. And so your process should turn into real tasks, but it can then automatic, it can adapt using automation. So like conditional logic to say, if it's this type of project, then show these tasks. If it's that type of project, then, then show these tasks. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of that built into it to try to make your processes smart so that your team can just see their, their tasks and not have to, you know, dig out which SOP to use today or what does this client need or things like that. So right. obviously that's way too many words to try to explain, <laughs> you know, in short, I try to say it's a process driven project management, you know, software made for client services. Yeah. I can see why that would be difficult because it, it seems like it is, solve, it is solving a very particular problem for a very particular person, but the problem that solves is really multifaceted. So it's hard to, it's hard to like pin down a, a catchy little phrase that encapsulates exactly what you do in a, an easily digestible way for your target audience. Yeah. Like the thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is, is like, I'm trying to help you make your client services business more predictable, hmm. trying to make it, yeah, just more predictable so that it could scale. 
so that it's easier to scale so that you you can scale in a with a calmer steady pace rather than the typical agency which is chaotic and every project is different and things are falling through the cracks and everybody's hair is on fire you know this gives you order to your operations and it's yeah it's a tool to to make that easier hopefully yeah yeah it seems like you're helping to extinguish all those gremlins i was talking about earlier where you you just forget to do one little thing because they they like for my for my example or in, in my situation it would be oh this guy wants a messaging audit but this guy that comes in he's actually more interested in copywriting so what should i do in that situation should i just tweak the messaging audit or should i refer them to someone else like all that stuff would be difficult if i brought someone else on because all of that's stuck inside my head and uh it's not i guess it's like you're trying to take take the decision making engine out of my head and put it into a system so that I can just like hand off to someone almost. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's not for everyone, you know. Uh, and it and I think a, a good product shouldn't be for everyone. Yeah, you know? but I, I think that if if your business is highly repeatable, so productized services are great. But even even agencies who just have a, a consistent process for how they do things, whether it's from onboarding new clients to doing audits to you know delivering monthly retainers and things like that even sales i mean i use it i use process get as my crm you know to kind of manage manage things like that but yeah just anything re- repeatable is what i'm trying to do and and then the other piece of it is like if you're if you have a team that's growing so people who've hired their first couple of people or they're growing to they're in the process of growing their team that that tends to be a situation where they're starting to look for better tools to get organized so that they can make hiring easier. Right. Actually, that's a question I meant to ask you. So, I mean, obviously a lot of the consulting is you, but do you have anybody else working with you? No, not on a, an employment basis or even on a contracting basis. I usually just outsource work to people. If it's something I don't know how to do, like a really specific style of graphic design, but most of the time I don't even outsource. I'll just send over, I'll just refer the client over to them. I, I don't really... I don't know, perhaps this is selfish, but I, I just kind of want to only be me in my business. And I feel like there's ample opportunities for me to scale well just by myself and, and reach the same level of profit that like a small size agency could hit, but just, just with me. And I feel like that's, uh, I don't know, it's a challenge for sure. I haven't got anywhere near that, but I feel like it's possible. So that's totally it. It completely is. I mean, there are plenty of, uh, I mean, I, I, especially if you love the work. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's that's really important. And um, Paul Jarvis's recent book, uh, "Company of One," comes to mind. I don't know yeah, if you saw that. It's great. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So, so Clarity First, ClarityFirst.co. That that's your website where you can uh, learn about all the stuff that we've been talking about. Is there anywhere else that folks can connect with you? If you want to hit me up on LinkedIn, if you have any specific questions about conversion rate optimization, or if you want me to take a quick look at your landing page. I'm doing a lot of free stuff right now because of the COVID situation. So just hit me up there. It's linkedin.com slash Mark dash McDougal. Um, but I guess we'll have it in the show notes as well. But yeah. if anyone wants the free stuff, just go on my site. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can download there. Um, a couple of webinars you can watch if you want to hear me soapbox about <laughs> conversion rate optimization. But it's fun, fun stuff. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for thanks for doing it. And, and thanks again for the outreach. Very well done. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. <laughs> All right. All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, 
head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.